your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Wednesday, Lacrosse Talk PMs. Like the guy just said, 608-785-7914. I am Rick Solom. I uh, coming up on the show. I do want to. Talk, I want to talk about this DNR policy board situation from the a ruling on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. But coming up on the show, Brian Fukuda is the community development manager with Lacrosse County. They just announced a pretty big program. I guess I would. I would say just like upgrade from a program they've been doing since 2016 and in in uh, helping. Just update houses, actually just redo, just get rid of and bring in new houses. So we're going to talk to him in a couple of minutes. And after that, Carla Bloom, the executive director of the International Owl Center, is going to be on with me. And there's like 10 different things to talk about. But one is uh, a a situation on Alaska with a, a story we talked about last spring, I believe. I think it was last spring. The pandemic years run together, so it could have been two springs ago. But I'm pretty sure it was last spring where a barn owl was found in Onalaska. I think I think it was a barn owl. Yeah, a barn owl was found in Onalaska. The first time in decades that a barn owl has been found here in Wisconsin or in, the, in this area. Now, it's all running together. Anyway, I'm going to make her do it. But a barn owl has been found. And then the, the question was, would the barn owl return to the area the next year? And it did. But then there's drama because they have babies and the babies, baby drama. That's what I'll, that's all I'm going to say is there's been some baby drama. Uh, but anyway, the DNR policy board that uh, nobody thinks about until until it's it's news like this. It's uh, interesting, and it's it's news I've talked about in the past, and it's just more news today. Uh, the Wisconsin Supreme Court took up this case. The, essentially, a guy named Fred Preen. He's the he's on the DNR policy board. He's the he's a Wausau area dentist. I don't I don't know all the the people on the policy board and what their their expertises are but dentist whatever I don't have all the other ones so it's not it's not fair to do that to him but he his term ended last May his term is he's been done he's it's his term ended over a year ago and he didn't he didn't step down and we talked about this with Brad Paff he when he was uh the ag secretary and the Republicans who control the Senate didn't they, they, they voted to not confirm him, essentially firing him. And uh, what what the uh, the Senate did this time around when Evers appointed Sandra Nass to replace Fred Preen, what this would have done was given uh, Democrats, essentially, I think we're doing liberal conservative because it's supposed to be nonpartisan, but everything's partisan. Right. Uh, it would have given Democrats a majority, a one seat majority on the DNR policy board. But Preen didn't step down. He just stayed in the seat. He said, until the Senate confirms my replacement, I'm not going to step down. And the Senate's controlled by Republicans. And the Senate did a bunch of confirmations right around that time. Just didn't put Sandra Nass, Evers appointee, on the on the, on the the list to, to confirm. And so here we are. He just doesn't step down and she doesn't get confirmed. And as I will likely say, at least once a week, the uh, state legislature has been out of session since March, and they're not coming back into session until next year. And re- if Republicans go, oh, you know, if we appoint this Evers appointee to the policy board on the DNR, then they get a majority. So we're just not going to appoint her, and the guy's not going to step down. So this went all the way to the state Supreme Court, and they ruled that 
Hey, he could stay on. He could stay on as long as he wants. The majority found that the governor may appoint an officer and the Senate may confirm that person only if a vacancy in the office exists. A vacancy can occur only if the office holder dies, resigns, or is removed, the majority concluded. So if his term ends, his six-year term ends, that's not a, a, a grounds to be removed and have the next person come in, especially when we have somebody ready to be confirmed. Um, does that does that going to have any ramifications going forward? What if uh, Republicans control everything and and it, except the oh wait that's where we're at and Governor Evers uh, takes office we're just not going to confirm the governor <laughs> well we'll just we won't confirm him no that's probably a little bit beyond it but yeah we're just we're so 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 people in government who are confirmed by the governor if the Senate doesn't vet them and confirm them or who who are appointed by the governor and the Senate doesn't confirm them, then they don't have to, the Senate doesn't have to. The the Supreme Court just ruled that the Senate doesn't have to do anything and these people can hold the office as long as Republicans want them to hold office. And you and and ideally here, you know, Republicans wouldn't control the Senate and the leg, or the legislature forever, but that's gonna that's what's gonna happen until we do something with gerrymandering. So that's why they do this. And then the Republicans hold the Supreme Court majority here as well. So um, yeah, again, the majority found that the governor may appoint an officer. We already do that. And the Senate may confirm that person. Well, they don't do that. Only if a vacancy of the, in the office exists. Only if a vacancy in the office exists. Well, term ending apparently isn't a vacancy because a vacancy can occur only if the office holder dies, resigns, or is removed, the majority concluded. Good times. Good times for our state government. We'll be back. All right. Welcome back to lacrosse talk PM 608 785 7914 is the text line. If you want to get in here right now, though, I have on Brian Facuda. He's the community development manager with lacrosse County. Uh, you've been with lacrosse County for 16 years, Brian. How's that been going? It's so far so good. This news that yeah I want to talk about today also pretty good news right absolutely yeah and so essentially the Lacrosse County you had to get the board's permission I would imagine uh, you're launching a two million dollar housing program and it, it seems to be an extension of a housing program you already had right yes yeah we've been operating the acquisition and demolition grant program uh, for the last six years and uh, but we've been operating it within just three specific neighborhoods within the city of Lacrosse so it's been. With uh, within the Powell Hamilton, the Washburn, and the Lower Northside Depot neighborhoods, and we've seen great success with the program um, in in the first six years, and so now the county board saw an, an opportunity to leverage some of the ARPA funding that that we've been uh, we've been trusted with, and uh, invest that into expanding the program to be available countywide for neighborhood revitalization. Yeah, and can you just explain? I, I mean, the, the Cliff Notes version of this is you offer grant money for people to, what, de- demolish their homes and rebuild or update their homes or apartment buildings, I guess? It, it is for uh, demolition and rebuild. Um, we, you know, hopefully not homes that are uh, currently being used as viable, uh, viable homes for people. But um, what we'd like to see is, is really... Um, you know some of the some of the most deteriorated housing in the community, um, giving an incentive for for folks to tear that down and replace it with new, better, safer housing. How does somebody 
come to that conclusion? I guess how do you do you have to go through some sort of inspection process, be approved for it? Obviously, uh, is is the process does it take a long time? Uh, no, we um, we have it is a competitive grant program, so we review applications um, four times a year, and uh, you know so so we take applications. We have a grant review committee that will then review the applications and make awards. Um, at those those meetings that they hold um, at this point four times a year, um, and so we just we'll, we'll work with uh, applicants to make sure that that we've got all the information we need to present it to that to that committee, um, so they can hopefully make awards and, and again make impact um, with with new housing. Um, one of the, the you know, nice things about the program is it can be just a, a single family house. That, that you're building, or it can be a, a multifamily um, apartment building. Um, what we're interested in is, is really just seeing quality housing being built in the community um, to hopefully address some of the challenges that we have with, you know, with, with offering um, quality uh, housing opportunities within the community. Um, but then also to, you know, to build tax base. Um, you know, that's, that's obviously something that we're interested in and in, in continuing to keep our tax base growing as a community. And so if we can replace some of that most deteriorated, um, you know, housing stock with new housing, um, that, that works in our favor as well. Yeah. One of the stats I see here, and you said uh, you've been doing this since 2016 in the three neighborhoods, Powell Polk, Hamilton, Washburn, and then the lower North side and depot neighborhoods. But, uh, you've turned 1.3 million in grant funding to over $30 million in new tax base. And it's 263 homes over this time period. Okay, so the number I see is 1.3 million, and the number that you announced the the county announced today is two million. So this is is this a huge leap? It is. As I said, we've just we've operated the program just within those those three neighborhoods and and used that 1.3 million um, over that six year time frame. But now um, the expansion is really you know opening it up to any place in the county. And so there's there's certainly other neighborhoods in the county um, that need this type of investment. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're hopeful that we'll be able to, you know, push those funds out into the community. Um, you know, we, we are, as I, as I mentioned, these are ARPA funds. And so, you know, we obviously, uh, the board has given us, uh, a year and a half about, um, to, to, you know, do as much as we can with, with these funds. And then they'll revisit it, um, at the end of, um, at, uh, at the end of 2023 to see if, um, you know, if we want to continue the program or if we would want to reallocate any of those funds to a different eligible use of ARPA funding. Yeah, because at the end of 2023, there'll still be ARPA funding possibly left over, right? Because you have to, I guess, essentially tell the feds that you're going to use the ARPA funding by 20, is it 2026 or am I way off there? It's, it's so we have to have it committed to projects by the end of 2024 and then ultimately spent by the end of 2026. Okay. So that's the, the timing of it is, you know, let's get it out there. Let's use it for, you know, for this program for as much as we can um, with that $2 million cap. Um, and then, you know, if, if at the end of, of 2023, um, you know, they, they, if, if this just isn't working and, and we're not finding projects, um, to, to invest these funds in, then they could reallocate it into a different ARPA-eligible project. So um, that was, you know, some strategic planning on their part to just, you know, give themselves a little bit of time. Um, obviously, with, 
you know, the construction market and the supply chain and all of that, um, we're hopeful that we'll be able to, to find, you know, enough good projects to get these funds out. But, um, you know, there, there's still some questions on that with, you know, some of the other challenges that, that we're under. We're speaking with Community Development Manager with La Crosse County, Brian Facuda. Okay, so you mentioned there's an application process. You do that four times a year. Has there ever been not? Has there ever been one of those processes where nobody has submitted anything? There has been. Yeah, we we've had rounds that that nobody has submitted anything. Um, but uh, we're we're hopeful that with ex- this expansion, um, we typically do a round in February, May, July, and September. And so our next application deadline is July 21st for a meeting that will likely happen in early August of the committee. Um, But then we still have one more round um, in in September. We'll have a a, um, grant deadline or an application deadline as well. Now, when the committee gets these applications, do they they see the address and then go roll up there and roll down the window and go, yep, we could tear that one down, approved? (laughs) We we usually try to do a lot of that a lot of that legwork as staff, um, but certainly you know we we ask in the application we ask the applicant to provide some photos of the of the current site. We ask them to provide renderings or plans for what they're planning to build, um, and you know then then we we're able to to put that in front of the committee so they can really see the the impact that the project would have. Uh, obviously, you said you're expanding this to the entire county, all of the cross county, and the. The program, the, the grant program is going to be $50,000 for a single family home and then $100,000 grant for larger projects. So if we if we tear down, okay, what, what about this scenario, Brian? I own property, there's just like an old barn on it or something, and I want to tear that down, but I want to build a single family home. Does that qualify for 50 grand, 100 grand, or neither? You know, I think it, it depending on the, the eligibility would be depending on what you're, what you're going to build. Um, so if you're building a single-family home, you would be eligible for up to 50000 If you're building a multifamily development, you would be eligible for up to 100000 Now, the scenario that, that you put out there of just tearing down an old barn and building a house, um, it, technically, it, you know, if you're, if you're just tearing down an old barn, you're not tearing down a, a, a residential property. Mm-hmm. So I, that, it would be a stretch. Um, to, to be eligible for that. The other key component to this is this is really about neighborhood revitalization. And so if you're proposing a project that's, you know, out in the mid, you know, out on a farm someplace, um, that's probably not going to compete real well for funding because, you know, one of the other, uh, some of the other scoring uh, criteria that we have for the program is the impact that it's likely to make around, on surrounding properties. Um, what we've seen with the first six years of the program is that if if we see some of the worst of the worst housing being torn down and replaced with better housing, then we see kind of that reverse broken window theory where you're seeing investment in a lot of the other properties neighboring that property or within that area where, you know, somebody might not be tearing that down, but they might, you know, invest in a new roof or some new windows or maybe just some landscaping or something like that and taking a little bit more pride in the neighborhood. And so that's something that we're hoping to see out of this as well as it rolls out across the rest of the county. So, you know, we'd really like to see these funds invested in existing neighborhoods, you know, that, that have a, a challenge with, um, with uh, deteriorated housing stock and, you know, and, and blight and, and concentrations of poverty and those sorts of things.
Yeah, I was just thinking if you're expanding it countywide, then you're going to get outside the city. And also, if you've had times where nobody's applied, uh, I know you, the the funding here has been boosted. So, you know, somebody might might want to just apply just out of the blue because, hey, I live I live in a dilapidated house or, or you know, uh, uh, my neighbor or maybe I own property with a dilapidated house on it and, and maybe take a shot in the dark here. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I, I think the other thing that, that you'll find is if, if you look at the program guidelines and you look at the eligible uses of the funds, um, what our funds can really be used for is the acquisition cost, the demolition cost, you know, maybe, you know, replacing a, a sewer and, and, and water laterals or, you know, things like that in conjunction with, a, a, you know, with a rebuild. Um, so, you know, and it, that, that's the other key pieces is what we're really trying to do with this program is kind of level the playing field between making the decision to build new housing within existing neighborhoods or maybe just choosing to, to build out in, the green, in a greenfield someplace. Um, and so that was really the impetus for this program was to level that playing field and allow, uh, allow people to make that choice to, to rebuild on existing infrastructure that ultimately for the county makes it easier for us to serve. Does anybody not qualify for this? Just, you know, like a like a big entity, a big business, something like that versus a you know, somebody that just owns property and has a has a dilapidated home? No, I think I mean if if they're willing to do a quality project well, um and and uh build quality housing in the community, we'd love to see an application. Are there any rules to like uh, the, you know, this is a single family home. I'm going to de- demolish it, but I'm actually going to build a multi-unit apartment complex on it. I, I don't know if that's legal. I think maybe you'd have to go through the county board or the city council to change that. But I'm just curious. Yeah. You know, as long as the zoning is, is applicable, um, we've, you know, we've seen, uh, we've seen cases previously where somebody might, um, tear down a couple of adjacent uh, deteriorated houses and then build uh, an aplex or you know something like that um, and so that's definitely an eligible use of of these funds um, but you know obviously the the zoning would have to be uh, would have to allow for that so the the applicant would have to make sure that either the current zoning is is applicable or they would have to go through a zoning change how how tough is the application process like is it are there a lot of hoops to jump through in in terms of showing that I'm going to you know I, I showing what you showing the committee what I have not a lot but you know we do want these projects to to not just be kind of you know a, a wing and a prayer where you know I haven't really put any any work into into you know anything but you know we'll take a shot and see if I can get some grant funding and then I'll pull the project together um, we do really want to see, you know, designs or renderings of what the project would look like. Um, most of our scoring criteria um, has to do with, um, you know, kind of how it's going to fit on the site, um, you know, how it's going to contribute to the to the quality of the neighborhood, um, what type of investment is going to be made there. And so that's those are the things that are really going to make a strong application is if you've actually put some time and effort into designing a project and, um, you know, really making sure that you have your, your, uh, your sources and uses of funds worked out that you've, you know, obviously, you know, a hundred thousand dollar grant isn't going to fund your project. So we want to make sure that you've got the, the capacity to be able to pull a project together and, and get the funding to make it happen.
Yeah, I would say, you know, a hundred thousand, not, not great for a larger project, not, not awful, but 50 grand for a single family home. That's, you know, it's just a good starter right there. 50 grand. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, that's kind of where we've, what, what we've tried to do is, you know, this is cash on the front end of the project um, that, you know, obviously if you're, you're not able to deliver on the project, you'd have to pay that back. But um, it's, it's front end costs that, that we're looking to contribute to. Um, and, you know, that type of equity can certainly, certainly be leveraged into, uh, into financing for a, a quality project. That's Brian Fakuda. He's the community development manager with Lacrosse County. All right, Brian. Before I let you go, is it really hard to find this page to like find the links to the application process? Because I'm kind of doing it while you're talking here, and it's it's not easy. But if I if I just Google neighborhood revitalization program Lacrosse County, it, it comes it brings me to a PDF. Google, yeah, if you go to lacrossecounty.org and right. then slash community dash development. That's where you really need to be, and then there's a housing assistance tab on there. All right. Thanks a lot, Brian. Yeah, thank you. All right. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. On the phone with me now, Carla Bloom, the executive director of the International Owl Center. She's probably a little disappointed I played Hootie in the Blowfish. <laughs> How's it going, Carla? It's going good. It's going. Um, all right. So I had I, I have a whole bunch of things on the list. I was I was running down the list for from for you uh, right before we came on. But um, let's just get this out of the way. Are we done with bird flu? Is that did that have an effect on the owl center or or the birds the owls in the area? Um, it did have an effect on owls in the area. Thankfully, our birds were all okay. Um, we did get calls about a few owls and eagles, for that matter, um, that had very likely avian influenza symptoms. Um, So in those cases, we did not send any of our staff to help with those rescues because we didn't want to chance the possibility of transmitting it to our birds. So our birds were all okay. Some of the wild ones did take a hit. Um, From what I saw from the Raptor Center, it was heavy on bald eagles and great horned owls, although we did get calls on a couple of snowy owls that were symptomatic and could likely have had it. Okay. And has that kind of subsided now, or is that still kind of an ongoing thing? Um, According to the Raptor Center, it it is subsiding. It doesn't mean it's gone. Um, I did hear of maybe a week or two ago, probably a couple weeks ago, a great horned owl that in Rochester that had avian influenza symptoms. So we don't know if it had it or not, but if it's got neurological symptoms, that's what we are concerned about. All right. And I, I should say the International Owl Center is in Houston, Minnesota. You guys are open, uh, is it Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or no, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, right? 10 to 5? Yes. Fr- yep. Okay. Right, one to five so. with programs at 11, 1, and 3. Okay. So if anyone wants to head over there, 11, 1, and 3 on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Monday. It's like 20 minutes from downtown Lacrosse, I think. Um, all right, so, but you you were in the area, I, I think. Again, we, we talked to you, I, I, now I've read it was last fall, we had a, a barn owl in Onalaska, and, and, and that doesn't sound like all that groundbreaking or air-breaking, tree-breaking, but um, a, a barn owl hasn't been nesting in Wisconsin for over two decades? Is that still, are we still for sure about that? Um, As far as we know, I mean, I would bet the birds probably have, and we just don't know about it, but this is the first documented one um, in 22 years. Okay, so in 22 years, nobody's documented a barn owl, but we found one in Onalaska last fall. 
And then obviously when winter comes, these owls, do they migrate? Ah, good question. Um, some people think they might. Other people don't, don't think they do. There are observations of barn owls um, in the lacrosse area in the dead of winter. So I'm assuming they probably don't, but we honestly don't know. Okay. Well, that's funny. Um, so we don't know if they migrate, but so maybe some do and some don't. It just depends. How do we yeah, not know this? Good. Uh, there's a lot that we don't know about owls. So it's, it, we're kind of at the northern extreme of their range, and they may behave differently here than they do in warmer parts of their range. Okay, and, and over the past 20 years, I think the climate has been changing a little bit, so they're probably able to move north a little bit more and more. Um, but we had one in a nest in uh, last fall, so come spring, it, she came back, or mom and dad came back, or mom came back. Did we have them back in the nest? Uh, they did go back to the nest. Um, I went back to the nest tree with an endoscope, which is basically a camera on a long, heavy-duty wire that you can view the video on your on an app on your cell phone. Um, so we could peek in on the nest without really pestering by putting a, a ladder up against the tree. And end of March, she was sitting, and Dad was in a cavity right next door. Okay, and then we ended up having we figured out they had some they had some kids, huh? And then we had baby drama after that. Yes, they had three kids that we know of, and then, yeah, major drama. Are we calling them owlets? Is that a bit what a baby owl is? Yep, baby owls are owlets. Okay, so we had three owlets. All right, well, do you just want to tell the story of what happened? Because we had, when, when, when owls are hatched and they're way up, they're pretty high up in this tree, right? But eventually, they, do they jump out or do they, do they jump out and start to fly or do they usually f- fly out? Typically, uh, I couldn't tell you on barn owls because barn owls are just so different than other owls in so many different ways that I don't have direct experience if they normally spend some time on the ground and fledge early or if, if they're good at waiting until they're decent at flying. I honestly can't answer that. Okay, so but what happened here? Um, one of the neighbors found a baby on the ground. Um, I think it was May 31st, June 1st, something like that. Okay. Um, so I was called, went to, actually was in lacrosse at the time, so popped over there. And I was just concerned that it didn't look quite as spunky as it should have, and it was too young to be out of the nest. And because there is a rehabber in, in uh, uh, Alaska, which you're very close, to, likely, very lucky to have one that close, um, took it over there. They gave some supplemental fluids. We had some discussion with folks and decided, okay, put her back in the nest, um, got the outlet banded, got it back in the nest. And because the neighbors were very willing, um, we also put up a cam in the nest. Uh, it was close enough that we had Wi-Fi access and power so we could observe then what was going on because we had discussed, should we put a cam on the nest or not just so a few key people could watch and see how things unfold. Because we do understand them so poorly in the northern part of their range, and are they behaving differently here than elsewhere? Um, So we put the cam in, and within a few days, uh, well, no, actually, the next day, the other kid jumped out. This this is such a saga. It's hard to remember it all. (laughs) Um, And we decided both of the kids were basically okay, so let's, but the black flies were bad, and so that was the question mark. Are the black flies causing them to jump? Well, with the camera, then we could see. So we put them back in the nest, and one jumped out. The other one climbed up in the chimney of the tree, because basically this tree is hollow way up. 
um, and then we couldn't see it anymore. But we did see the black flies crawling all over the, the owlets and driving them nuts. Mm-hmm. So when, when the other one jumped, then the question was, okay, are the black flies harassing it too much? And if we put it back in the nest, is it just going to jump again? So uh, Ryan Brady from Wisconsin DNR contacted some folks in Indiana who had black fly issues. Because most places where barn owls nest, there aren't really bad black flies like we have here that can cause birds to jump prematurely out of the nest. So most people had no idea what to do. And the folks in Indiana said, this was hilarious, you use... Vanilla Roma, Vanilla Roma Little Tree Air Fresheners for cars. And you put them in the nest box or the nest cavity, and it keeps the black flies away. Okay. Seriously. So we're like, okay, well, let's try this. We got a cam. We can see if it works. Um, so we took that owlet, put it back in the nest. Um, I put three of those tree, those little yellow tree Vanilla Roma Air Fresheners in there. And it kept the black flies away. Seriously. Wow. So that was interesting. Um, so we could see that, but then that one jumped out of the nest. Anyway, okay. Well, he so probably didn't like out. vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> didn't seem bothered by the little trees. Okay. Um, but jumped out. The parents did not come to feed that night. But when they, in their absence, we could see that the parents were still coming to the nest. But mm-hmm. the, the night that the young one was there, the adults did not come to the nest. Okay. Um, and that may have been why it jumped out. Um, I did find a third dead one in the back of the nest, um, so we don't know what that one died of. It had died at least a week before I found it, so we weren't really able to determine or do a necropsy because it wasn't in good shape. Okay, so we have, um, we have uh, barn owls haven't been documented in Wisconsin for 22 years. Uh, they, they were here last fall. They came back this spring. And now we have babies that have jumped at least, I'm counting, is it three or four times they've jumped out of this? And they've jumped pretty far. Can you? How far down is it to, to, to the ground? Um, probably 15 feet or so. Okay. So, yeah, that's pretty far for an owl, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, any distance could cause things to happen. Um, so we now have the one that's jumped three times, and okay, we're not going to put it back after it's jumped three times. The other one is up in the tree somewhere, we think can't find it anywhere, spent a night with endoscope sticking it into all kinds of tree cavities and couldn't find it anywhere. And then, uh, yeah, the major doozy was the storm that came through Lacrosse and snapped off the nest tree at the nest cavity. Um, and the two adjacent trees, uh, mature trees, were uprooted completely. One fell on a person's house. Okay. Um, yeah, so then it was, okay, where's the other one? The neighbors had been hearing it up in the tree, so where was it? Um, so we had the endoscope in that tree now because it's laying on the ground. It was not in that tree. Yeah. Um, but then the, the tree folks came and had to cut up the tree because it was laying on house and all kinds of other things. Um, and the night it was cut up, one of the neighbors found that outlet in their yard, and it was taken to rehab, and that one was sent right away to join its sibling up at the Raptor Education Group in Antigo, Wisconsin, where, where they're getting really good care. Um, the one that jumped three times seemed to be fine, was in good weight. Um, the one that was apparently in one of the trees that fell, that one did sustain some injuries. So we hope they'll both be okay, and then they would be brought back to the lacrosse area for release. 
Okay, so yeah, once they're and they're that's when they're kind of like they're good to go on their own, obviously. Um, yes. And and then who knows what they'll do, right? We have absolutely no clue what they're going to do. <laughs> and is that pretty typical? I mean, obviously we we're, we're on on kind of unknown territory here, but I mean, w- would it be smart to release them here because they were f- they were born here, or maybe somewhere southern, more south because they we just because that's where their you know their habitats better suited for them. Uh, well, I've been doing vocal research on barn owls for several years in the area, both southeast Minnesota and along the Mississippi, and we're finding there are several. It's not just the ones in La Crosse. Um, when they were nesting last fall, there was one on the Minnesota side of the river that definitely was not part of that pair. Um, they nested in Wabasha last fall also. Um, they've been seen down by Prairie du Chien. Um, I've picked them up on recorders elsewhere. So the ones in La Crosse are not the only ones in the area. They're just really good at not being detected because around the nest, they say almost nothing. I've got a recorder at the nest, and they say, you hear the kids begging, and it's quiet, and that's it. The parents say nothing. I think maybe you just have to you have to look at the those, uh, those hollowed-out trees for air fresheners hanging, vanilla air fresheners. Yes. Yep, that's be... probably the best way to find them. Yep, look for the air fresheners, because they don't say anything, and then around the nest tree, there is no poop and no pellets once they start nesting. Right. Uh, we're speaking with Carla Bloom. She's the executive director of the International Owl Center in Houston, Minnesota, just just down the road from La Crosse. Um, all right, you guys have a – can you just talk real quick? i got a couple minutes here about your, your new ambassador owl, but it's a little baby girl. Can you talk about it yet? Yes, we're super excited. Um, we have – four owls that work as ambassadors for us that do educational programs both on-site and off-site. And it's been four years since we've had a new baby owl, and we have one right now. We were lucky enough to get a baby burrowing owl um, from a breeder out east. And because we handle our birds so much, and they actually live off-site and commute to work every day, and they're handled so much, they really need to be raised by people. So the best way um, to get birds for for our needs is to get them from a breeder. And, oh, virtually almost nobody breeds them, so we were really lucky to be able to get a baby burrowing owl. So she should be starting work um, hopefully on Friday if all goes well. Um, so we're excited to for the world to meet her. And then we can talk about burrowing owls. In Minnesota, that's um, our only endangered owl species. All right. And they're facing a lot of problems. So uh, all, thing can, all things... That everything goes right. Uh, Eleven a.m. Friday, we could see uh, baby burrow, baby burrowing owl be introduced. Yes. Well, actually, she'll just be in a little enclosure, so you can see her anytime between ten and five, assuming oh, okay. she's comfortable with her space. If she's a little bit nervous, we may have to take her off display for a bit. But so far, she's been doing really good with lots of people. All right. And if people want to come out, how many owls can they expect to, to be able to check out? Um, probably five, but once we get her up to speed, Ruby, the great horned owl will probably get some days off from the owl center. Cause she does most of our offsite workload program. Cause she does so well with large groups of kids. Um, so she's been working kind of too hard lately, like six days a week, which is a bit much. So we would like to give her some days off. So then we'd just have four owls there and Ruby would get some time off. All right, and then last thing, real quick, I, I don't have a ton of time, but how any any timeline on getting the new owl center up to, you know, up up to speed? 
Uh, running we just up removed and running. house number three from our building site. We have the building contractor hired. The RFPs for the architects were due this past Friday, so we'll be hiring or interviewing architects to hire in the very near future. And then this year, kind of the goal is to get the finalized conceptual drawings done. And we've done already a lot of the background work on that. And then um, at the same time, do a fundraising feasibility study. And then once we have the final concepts, we get a price tag and then boom, get going on that and get her done. All right. And I'll say last thing. I, I keep saying that, but I know I'm, I'm running out of time. Uh, you're, you're also still auctioning off Ukraine art. You, you, you uh, had art, artwork from all over the world. You're, you're auctioning off Ukraine art. There's still auctions going? Uh, we just finished auction number four, raised another $20,000, and auction number five is going to be the middle of August. It'll wind up August 14th. It may be the 13th and 14th or 12th, 13th, and 14th. We haven't decided yet. And that will be the end of the Ukrainian auction um, artwork. And, you're well, um, and all of that money is going to help the kids in Ukraine. And you're well over $200,000 there so far. Yeah, I think now we're close to about $245,000. Okay, cool. All right, internationalowlcenter.org. Go check it out. Thank you, Carla. You're welcome. All right, bye-bye. Have a good night. All right, that's going to wrap it up. Tomorrow, UW Lacrosse political science professor, Dr. Anthony Chergosky, and I'll be in for Hayes in the morning.